You are listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board. Welcome to this episode of CEO Perspectives, a signature series by the Conference Board. CEO Perspectives are conversations that take an objective, nonpartisan look at a range of subjects that matter most to business leaders. To help make sense of these topics, we'll sit down with thought leaders and do what we do best at the Conference Board, provide trusted insights for what's ahead. I'm Steve Odlin from the Conference Board and the host of this podcast series. And in today's discussion, we will be talking about leadership development in this new, brave, hybrid world of work. What skills do leaders need now? And what's the best way to develop those skills? Joining me today is Dr. Rebecca Ray, the Executive Vice President of Human Capital at the Conference Board. Rebecca, welcome. Well, thank you, Steve. It's a pleasure. So, Rebecca, since the pandemic, I think the, our whole world seems to have changed. You know, first of all, we went 100% virtual uh, as the economy was shut down, and now everything's sort of been trickling back. And so we're kind of in this new hybrid world where, you know, at least in the office environment, we're kind of half in the office and and partially still out. Tell us, where do you see things going? And, you know, what percentage of the workforce now is is hybrid based on your estimates? Sure. Well, you know, Steve, I think there's a certain segment of the population, maybe almost half, who can't really work remotely. And, you know, they're providing frontline health care or they're in a re- traditional retail brick and mortar store or they're in the hospitality industry. And so there are some for whom working remotely or working even in some hybrid fashion just isn't in the cards. And I think many of them would love to, but it's just not part of the job that they have. So you've got about you've got about 30 percent of the population that is working some kind of a hybrid schedule. Let's just set that aside for a moment. But you've got another 13 that are pretty much, you know, remote all the time. The estimates that you get um, from uh, from a variety of, of economic bureaus is that about 30% is where we seem to have landed for the moment. That about 30% are working some kind of hybrid schedule. So I think we're going to be in that for some time. It's been pretty much 30% for quite a while. And I think several shifts are probably at play. This is probably the biggest change to the workplace since World War II and women went to work in factories. So what you have now is a rebelling sort of employee group that really wants to have remote work. And the challenge for employers, I think, is twofold. One, they have to take a look at what's the trade-off in terms of uh, access to top talent if we remove our remote work policies or our hybrid or flexible approach and our competitors are still offering it. And secondly, how do we ensure that the many good things about being in an office and being part of a a corporate culture uh, can sometimes be supported by being physically together? Yeah, I think, you know, and, and you make a really good point, which is, you know, most of the service industries are in person, construction's in person, you know, uh, it's, it's hard to manufacture something remotely. So so what we're talking about is office, you know, the office kind of work, but that's a big number still um, that can be uh, at least hybrid, if not if not fully remote. So this is, you're, you're, you're thinking that we're kind of at a, you know, sort of a steady state here. Um, which may make some sense because, you, you know, you, you hear Amazon coming out and saying three days a week, you hear others saying four days a week and others, are, you know, whatever a month. 
but you know there are i guess you know just a few firms saying you know 100% full time and even the ones that have said it aren't getting it right so it it you know maybe we are at a, a steady state well, I think we might be. And and again, I, I'm probably the, the first to say we're going to be trying different things. We're going to be, I, I think, experimenting with things for quite some time. And, you know, things will shake shake out after a while and we'll have whatever the next normal is. But I do think about 30 percent ish is about what we're going to look at. You know, it's interesting, um, you know, Conference Board is uh, 106 years old. Our, our listeners may not know that the Conference Board came together and you know, one of its, uh, you know, its founding purpose was to, you know, deal with the development of the five-day, 40-hour work week and all the safety standards and the and the management and leadership practices uh, around that back in the, in the teens. So, you know, we've been at this quite a long time. Oh, absolutely. In fact, you know, one of the things I'm very proud of having worked at the conference board is the record of commitment to improving the workplace. And obviously, you know, you wanted to have successful businesses so that they could in turn, you know, help lift society. But we were among, if not the first, the very first in the teens and early 20s to advocate for employer-sponsored health care, to advocate for an eight-hour work week, eight-hour work day, as you said, to have a variety of safeguards, to advocate for the inclusion of women and uh, people of color uh, in the workplace. So I'm very proud of that track record. We were very, very forward-thinking way back when. Way back when. Yeah, okay, so now we're in this this new steady state, kind of steady state. But leadership is really important uh, as it relates to dealing with this this new world. And you know, most of our leaders have come up through the ranks in a uh, an in person workplace. Um, you know, we all have experienced you know the the remote workplace from the from the time during the pandemic. But now it it seems to me that that we have a need for a different kind of skill set now. Do you agree? Uh, I'm of two minds. Um, In some ways, leadership hasn't changed all that much since the Greeks, right? You're still trying to be a decent human being. You're trying to inspire people. You're trying to develop them. You're trying to help them reach their potential to deliver business goals through the leadership that you uh, display for other people. And so the ability to, to coach, to give feedback, to help people understand what good looks like when you're looking at performance, to be able to set clear expectations, to be able to, you know, talk to people about areas in which they need to improve or where they need to hit the marks, trying to help people understand why it's important to help develop others and good customer service. Those things haven't changed. Okay, so those are still the underpinnings. I do think now that the challenge is you need to be do, able to do that in a in a world where you may be faced with a variety of settings and a variety of people and a variety of challenges that are new. And so much of it is how do you do all those things in a hybrid environment where sometimes you are remote uh, as you deal with someone and sometimes you are in person and sometimes you'll be leading people on your team whom you've never met in person. So the question is, how can you display the kind of empathy and emotional intelligence that's necessary for reaching people wherever they are? There are some people who are uh, leaders who don't come across well in a technology-supported environment. And there are some people who will take a look at an interaction online and not feel as though the, the leader is perhaps as caring as he or she truly tries to be. The question is, how do you convey that 
in a hybrid setting when you are not in the room with, with that person? How can you display greater levels of empathy or listening skills? And it, those, are, those are the kinds of things that demonstrate to people you lead that you care about them as a person, that you care about their success in the workplace, and that you are there for them in their continual career development and opportunities for advancement. Yeah, you know, you've, you've described a multitude of different situations, you know, you, where you have leaders who are in person and workplaces that are partially in person, partially remote, maybe fully remote, hybrid. Then you have leaders who are remote mm-hmm. and, you know, the reverse. So there's a lot of different combinations here. And so, you know, leaders do need to be thinking about how to connect with all of their people in a consistent fashion when in fact the leadership and the you know and, and the employee base is not necessarily consistently in the same place that that's a real challenge yeah i mean you can spin the dial you could find yourself as a leader in almost any combination of things multiple times during the day and constantly changing so i think it's really important for leaders to understand the impact that people have or the diminished impact that you might have through technology and to be thoughtful about how do you want to come across as a leader? How do you be more intentional about just because someone is maybe down the hall from you, you bump into them more often and you have more conversations there. How, how can you become an intentional leader to make sure that everyone feels like they have part of your time, part of your insights and part of your championship of their development. And that's the challenge because so many times I think remote workers fear this, that out of sight, out of mind, perhaps. And so a leader has to be intentional about making sure that it's a positive experience for every employee, regardless of the way he or she works. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it, leadership's hard. <laughs> you know, let's just start there. It's hard. Yeah, it is. Developing leaders is hard. Mm-hmm. But then when you throw in all of this, you know, it, it really does scramble it. You know, one of the things that you've written about um, that uh, that is really interesting is is about employee engagement, and you know we could we could wax poetically for hours on that. But but your your point is that the 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 most highly committed employees, uh, the people who are there for the long term, the most productive employees are those that are most engaged, right? So it seems to me that you know some part of assessing, le- you know what what does leadership look like is maybe the ability to inspire engagement. Yeah, so, so so maybe if I st- step back a little bit and maybe take a run at it this way, I'm not sure that what we're asking leaders to do now is essentially all that different from what we've always asked leaders to do, which is to be adaptive and to have a leadership style that perhaps plays well to a, a brand new recruit versus somebody who's a seasoned performer versus somebody who has been a very top performer but is now struggling. And so you'd adapt your coaching style or your leadership to, to maybe help that person understand where he or she needs to go. You know, we used to call it, you know, Ken Blanchard many years ago had situational leadership and it was thinking about, you know, what's the situation you're in, what are you hoping to accomplish and how do you adapt your style? So here we have these leaders who have these team, team members, many of whom we've all been through this collective experience known as pandemic and social unrest and a variety of other things. And there's no end to the number of headlines from the world that are going to continue to make the world a very scary and also challenging place, but hopefully we'll, we'll all end in a good place. But we are asking leaders to now be on the lookout for signs of deteriorating mental health, 
signs of challenges that someone may be experiencing. We're asking a lot of our leaders. It's not just, let's just, you know, coach for performance. Now let's make sure that someone isn't dealing with things that perhaps they're really struggling with and they really need help. So we ask a lot of our leaders. So the toll that we have on leaders is, is much greater. And I think if we're not really careful, we will have leaders who burn out at a higher rate and will say, I just don't have enough to take care of myself, my family, and my team. The emotional toll is is high. Yeah. You know, it, so just maybe you could help our, our listeners. You know, what were some of the best leadership development practices when we were all together in the workplace? And how has that shifted? What, what are the best practices now? Sure. So I think that leadership and becoming a leader is a lot like growing up. It just takes time. I used to have some clients uh, when I had my consulting practice who wanted to know if they could train uh, mid-level managers in a month and start to finish. And I would say, of course you can. You may not like what comes out of that one month machine, but yes, of course you can. You, you have to try things. You have to reflect on it. You have to try to take away some insights from it. You try it again. You see if you got better. You know, it, it, it's a maturation process. And so one of the things that I think is probably important about leadership development period is that you have time to think about things. You First of all, you're shown what excellence looks like. You know, I used to, a lot of my companies, I would do leadership development and I would ask people an exercise and we'd start out by saying, I want you to close your eyes and imagine the best leader you ever had. You know, and then what was that that he or she did that just made you want to perform, that made you want to not disappoint that leader? And the shocking thing is that many people couldn't envision someone. They hadn't seen or experienced or been led by somebody terrific. And so asking people to create great leadership without having seen it in action is a tough thing. So when you can expose up and coming leaders to those who are more seasoned, I think that's usually a best practice. And it's partly, you know, you learn a skill, you apply it, you get feedback, you reflect on it, you try it again. That's generally, you know, adult learning in, in a cycle. But the ability to interact with people who are decent leaders themselves is a tremendous piece or should be the cornerstone of, of, of a decent leadership development program because people have to have a, a sense that I can see myself a few years down the road in the same spot as this person. I can see myself adopting his way of, of talking to people or her way of being insightful or whatever the case may be. And, and adapt those behaviors and create their own leadership style. And every leader does that. We're talking about leadership and leadership development in a new hybrid world. We're going to take a short break and be right back. As you and your company monitor the volatile and uncertain economy, the award-winning forecast team at the conference board predicts a downturn by the end of 2022. Recession will further compound the crises that have recently upended expectations, from a deadly pandemic to a war in Ukraine and the highest inflation in decades. Yet, unprecedented crises also present unforeseen opportunities, if you have a trusted, proven navigator by your side. With that in mind, and as the conference board has always done, we are providing you with daily, timely, and relevant content that will guide the business community through the economic storm. These trusted insights are being gathered on our website and are available to help your company master the challenges. To find out how you can chart a course for the future, which will allow your business to emerge stronger on the other side, visit our free economic hub entitled 
Navigating the Economic Storm, Your Indispensable Guide Through the Global Recession, located at conference-board.org slash topics slash recession. Welcome back to CEO Perspectives. I'm your host, Steve Odlin from the Conference Board, and I'm joined today by Dr. Rebecca Ray, the head of the Human Capital Center at the Conference Board. Okay, so let's go back to leadership and talk about the best practices, again, Mm -hmm. that we had before, and then how do you translate that to virtual? How do you teach people to lead and engage and drive, you know, drive followership, essentially, in a hybrid situation? I think you have to start with identifying what good looks like and what are the right steps to doing something, right? And so you encourage people to master that, then apply it, then get some feedback. And best practices, um, you you often see leadership development in a cohort setting because they learn from each other. They're also going through a shared experience. And it also creates a network of people that they can go and have a conversation with that says, you know, hey, I'm, I'm remember we talked about this in in the program, and I'm going to try it out this afternoon. I got an underperformer I need to talk to, and can I, can you role play this with me? And it gives them a, a network of people they can tap without having to raise their hand, and show other people that they're a little bit uncomfortable having the kinds of conversations they know they need to have. So having a cohort, having a guided learning journey. In other words, there's a systematic way of going through the process, you know, so that it reflects adult learning. The best practices also include things that are very work specific. Um, Nobody wants to go through a program just to learn skills to check a box. If you can't see the direct application of learning something of how you'll use it as a leader, uh, it it tends not to be effective. I think the other thing is giving people time to mature and to marinate with these things. Now, we just did some research with um, uh, with a company called Udemy, a very large MOOC. And they have probably the world's, some of the world's most successful programs. We wanted to see whether or not we could scale up um, leadership development for earlier in career leaders uh, by teaching them how to be effective in a hybrid setting. And so we thought the best way to do that was to use a hybrid setting to teach them these skills. And so this was a six-week program for managers, and it followed um, very standard you know, adult learning practices. So you you learn the skills either through reading, through watching video, through discussions, discussion threads, in a conversation with a coach. And then you apply that skill in a structured manner. And there's all kinds of evaluations that, that come from that. And then you get feedback on that from a coach. And then you uh, process it, at least we did, at the end of uh, every two weeks, there was, you had the application and then the feedback. And then we had a large synchronous group discussion led by some really engaging coaches. And that was repeated several times, whether that was how to build an inclusive environment, how to provide feedback, how to uh, be an empathetic leader uh, and emotional intelligence skills. So those, those, that was the structure of it. And I have to say, I thought it was very effective. In the, in the report, we go through the, the ROI of this with very conservative you know, estimates as to how people could continue to use this and what the Im- business impact would be. But suffice it to say, uh, having a coach, having a structured program, having quality materials. I mean, we the underlying um, content here was from Dave Elrich, you know, the father of modern HR, from 30 years of teaching leadership uh, and, and the principles that they had, the high-end quality graphics. And it was just an extraordinary rich program, I thought. 
so you did that. We've got a situation where uh, you know you've tried this now and 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 developed this and proven that it could that we can train leaders in a remote fashion. Yes. Then the question is, you know, if you're measuring leadership by inspiration of followership and engagement, do you have to then kind of measure the remote employees differently from the in-person employees, or is it all measured the same way? So, so a couple of things. I think there's probably um, a great deal to be said for evaluating leaders as leaders. And there are ways to get that information because a lot of things that leaders do, even when we were all fully on site, you didn't observe directly, right? You you didn't watch a one-on-one coaching session unless you were in a training setting and somebody was sitting over your shoulder. You didn't probably have a transcript of the one-on-one interactions. You didn't have a, you know, a way to sit in on team meetings and find out whether or not that was an inclusive leader uh, leading that meeting. So a lot of the ways in which we have to get information about a leader is a couple of things you've already mentioned. One, I think that's why employee feedback and uh, ratings about the employee experience as they experience that leader or that job is critical. I think you need to look at a couple of things you've cited, which is, does that leader have a reputation for developing talent? Does that leader retain top talent? Does that leader uh, build a team that even when that leader's not in the room or on site or anywhere near them, that team knows how to perform and they complete the mission, and they are able to fly the plane without the pilot. You know, it, it's, it seems to me that a lot of this, historically, you may disagree, but, you know, a lot of this was done in a non-scheduled fashion, you know, in a, you know, an informal fashion, mentorship, leadership, around the water cooler, you know, people going to lunch together. And so this, it, it seems to me that in this kind of a situation, in this kind of a world where you know you've got people in a combination of situations, that you have to be more intentional about your not your training of your leaders, but then your leadership in in what you do and how you engage with people. You agree with that? Yeah, I I, I do agree, and I think we have to hold leaders accountable for the kinds of things that many companies currently don't, like turnover, like levels of engagement like how many of their people are advanced into other parts of the organization where they become a feeder pool for, for leadership. And, and I think we have to hold people accountable to do that, but we need to make it explicit that that is what we expect of leaders. So I, I think that's part of it. I think the other things that we could hold them accountable for is who are you sponsoring and for whom are you a champion? You know, How many people do you tutor or mentor? How many people, or in what ways, for example, do you engage in reverse mentoring so that you get a chance to work very closely with earlier in career people, even if they may not be on your immediate team? And that's what happens, of course, as leaders go on their own journey. You know, they tend to have more senior leaders under them. And so the question is, how senior a leader are you? And then how far back in the organization do you reach to mentor, to coach, to encourage? You know, your, your question before about encouraging people I don't think it's possible to motivate another human being. I don't. You're going to, if, if Steve, if you were my direct employee, you would decide to work at X amount of capacity or X amount of, you know, difficulty or, or energy or not. There's nothing I'm going to say that's going to encourage you to do that. Now I can try to create an environment where you don't want to let the team down. You're committed to the, to the mission. You're aligned with the purpose. You like the people you work with. You love the work you do. You're going to be pretty motivated, but that's your personal decision. 
because I just don't believe a leader can motivate another human being or determine someone's level of engagement. That's a, that's an interesting statement because I, I suspect that people would debate you on that. I'm not sure you know what's right and what's wrong. I, I think what you're saying is you're, you know the, the actions that you take inspire people or they don't, but ultimately, you know, people have to decide to be happy. They have to decide on their own what to do. And I, I think that's what you mean, you know, but, and, and so, you know, selecting the right employees is an important part of this too, right? I mean, so you have to, you have to have people who can, um, who can be productive in a hybrid situation, who understand how to work on their own and, and motivate themselves. I, it, am I kind of catching the drift? Well, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I can't wave a wand as a leader and say, you, you're engaged. It's Tuesday. It's your day. Uh, that's, that's just not how it's going to go. It's like, it's like you can't really work on culture by working on the culture. Your culture is the net result of everything your leaders have done or failed to do, right? And engagement is, is the environment that you've asked a worker to be in. And if someone uh, believes that you're a fair leader, that you have their best interests at heart, that you're committed to their development, that you provide opportunities for advancement equally, that you can be trusted. That's somebody who's going to work pretty hard for a leader like that. How can CEOs and CHROs assess leadership capabilities if they don't actually see the leaders in action here? Is it, is it just simply the, you know, what you said, some of the metrics around retention or engagement and that sort of thing? Uh, you know, or is there some other way, you know, to to assess these folks? All right, here's my my personal opinion, perhaps not shared by others, but I'll share it anyway. So first of all, I think you have to do everything you're expected to do as a leader to the best that you can, and certainly to the standards that are going to be held accountable uh, for. So so I think that goes without saying. You're going to look at team engagement and turnover and retention and how many leaders you're putting together. But the second thing is, create raving fans, create a team that's stellar. And, you know, they they can take over for you uh, when they need to. But that tells you, you look at somebody's team, and that tells you what kind of leader you have. Yeah, interesting. You know, what do you say to those folks? Uh, uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, if if I don't see someone in, in, you know, in the office or, you know, in the work, in the workplace, and I can't observe them, you know, I, I don't, how can I know whether they should be promoted. And so you have people saying, you know, I, I don't know how to do that if someone's remote and and really know. What do you say to those folks? How do you how do you advise them to to observe those people and judge, you know, leadership and promotion ability? Well, we've done this for forever. Salespeople have goals. We judge them on two things. These are your goals, you hit them or you didn't. The other thing we look at or should look at is how many people did you chew up getting to that goal, right? So it's the what and the how. And so it's not as though, you know, we shouldn't be looking at leadership in a vacuum. There should be metrics around it. You should hold people accountable. How many people do you churn through? How many, uh, how many leaders have you created and sent out into the organization? How many of your people go on to be great leaders? I mean, there are, there are metrics like engagement and turnover um, that we can look at. And Look, you can observe a leader in action. And what you're going to see most of the time is somebody when they stand up in front of a group, but you're not going to be able to see it. So take a look at the metrics and everybody, every leader, whether you're remote completely or you're trying to struggle through, you know, how do I adapt for all these different things? Hit the metrics. 
That's how you tell. Not whether or not somebody put on a great dog and pony show while they were being watched for 10 minutes. Yeah, certainly not that. Okay, final thing, you know, wrapping up, what, what are the biggest risks and watch out in, in leadership in a hybrid world? I think letting your guard down and thinking you got this nailed because every new person that joins the team is going to be different. Circumstances shift. You, you know how it is. You're, you're going to have to be a really good leader to be attentive to details so that you can judge the mood in the room and the mood on a call with the same degree of accuracy and know how to know how to have enough self-awareness to be able to shift and to be very authentic and humbling as a leader. You know, let's be candid. This little camera is coming to everybody's home, whether or not they, they work full-time or remote or not, but in our personal lives, we're all a bit able to do these things. Question is how engaging and effective can you be as a leader? And I think that requires a heightened level of sensitivity and caring. Reading people in two dimensions instead of three, a new yes. skill set. And you might think it's easier, it's only two dimensions, but sometimes it's a little harder. It is, it is, it is challenging, certainly. Rebecca Ray, thanks for being with us today. Always a pleasure, Steve. And thanks to all of you for listening in to CEO Perspectives. Every week I'll be joined by a prominent thought leader to provide insights on the issues of our time. We'll cover leading topics in human capital, geopolitics, economics, public policy, and more. Please share CEO Perspectives with your colleagues, with your friends, with your neighbors, with your family. I know they're going to want to listen. I'm Steve Odman, and this podcast has been brought to you by the Conference Board. You have been listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board.